Play. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. Yeah, that way. Drick and Apple Juice and Hennessy. What up, guys? We are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM. WHCR, the voice of Harlem. What you just heard right there was what happens when I don't have my mic working and I got to turn music down. Yeah. So. It sounded well, kind of good, though. It kind of like drowned your voice out. <laughs> and I really. All oh, right. We could enjoy that you. part. You know what? Like you guys are hating on me. That's that's a problem over here. <laughs> so we are back on Let what Your Voice Be Heard. We're always yeah. hating on you. Yes, this is true. Where people hate on Stanley, who was the handsomest man in the land, and also I have a wonderful shirt on today to talk about my first love, Sally Mae. Yeah. <laughs> that's right, guys. So welcome back to Let Your Voice Be Heard on ninety point three FM WHCR, the Voice of Harlem. We are back. This is Stanley Fritz. I'm here with Alyssa Fuchs. I'm here with Jackie Cohen. Selena Hill is on her way, but of course, she said, "Hey, there's going to be a bike tour today that's going to block off half of the city. I should leave my house late." Yeah. No, that's not, <laughs> that's not what she said. She got stuck in traffic. She'll be on. She'll be in here soon enough. But how while, come you didn't do the bike tour today? Well, because you normally do the bike tour, yeah, don't you? I've missed so many shows because of work. I just it felt I didn't, I didn't feel like it'd be cool to miss a show for something personal. Wait, that sounds weird, actually. Yeah, right. I've missed so many things because of my job. I didn't want to take a personal day. I mean, listen, we could do our That's... own little five barrel bike tour if you want. All we have to oh, do yeah. is download the map, and mm-hmm. then we could just go for the same ride. Mm-hmm. And guess what? Then we won't have to pay the registration fee. Yeah, or get any good bagels. Well, you know, <laughs> I, 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 I don't know how much the registration is, but I'm sure it's much cheaper to just go buy a bagel. Yeah, $90 if you get it before, um, like, if you like, the yeah. first day. Although, I, think it I is. don't know how much cheaper. I feel like I walked into a bagel store the other day and ordered just, like, a bagel with cream cheese, and it was, like, $5. What? It should be $1.50 max. I'm why sorry. Is it, first of all, why is a bagel with cream cheese $1.50, period? Yeah, I right. You see MAGA, right. yeah. MAGA um, guys. MAGA. <laughs> uh, I don't know exactly why it's a dollar fifty, but I had a bagel yesterday and it cost me four twenty five for an everything bagel with scallion what? cream cheese. Ew. Which actually is not bad because the specialty cream cheese usually costs a lot more money. That sounds disgusting. No, it's delicious. You don't like onions? I like onions, but not in my cream cheese or my bagel because I'm right. American. But anyways, guys, we're gonna stop not rambling about bagels. Not everybody can be cool like you. This How is do true. you like your bagels? I like my bagels with raisin. Cinnamon oh. raisin bagel, toasted with cream cheese. Uh, so amazing. you got a sesame bagel, cream cheese, lettuce, tomato, cucumber. No that, locks. My, no locks. No locks. Well, I, White yeah. people mess up I, everything. I, <laughs> excuse me. You're telling two Jews how to eat their bagels? Yeah, that is like We invented the bagel. Are you out of your mind? No, That's been, like me trying to tell you how to eat fried chicken. That, that is not um, what that is. <laughs> we're going to not go there. Or say that. <laughs> see, Stanley. See, Stanley. We knows. had two listeners on Facebook Live. They both just oh, left. I <laughs> see, we have to seven too. over here. Well, they're white. Of course, they're not mad about the fried chicken joke. No, uh, no. But listen, <laughs> this is not. It's not. No, there are certain foods that people are good at cooking because historically their families <laughs> have cooked. Stop bagels oh. are something that Jews are good at cooking because they're historically Jews don't something. Cook bagels. Well, though. yeah, we go to like. No, but our families do like bagels, bagel boss. Yeah, Apple exactly. Island, we that's, get the, them. The, that's that's the point I'm trying to make, right? You're, you're like, digging us. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. It's true about the bagels. There, if you go look up a list of historically Jewish foods, you will find bagels. <laughs> I will just say that at every Jewish that. bar mitzvah or funeral. <laughs> Or brunch, there are bagels. Right. I was going to say, I am not That's offended. What the are good if at you were to chicken. say that to me, that we are good at bagels, I would not in <laughs> any way be offended by it. 
This is why we need Selena. We just went on a complete tangent. So with two minutes to spare, let me tell you guys what we are talking about. So this is going to be an action-packed Sunday. We are talking about Trump Care. What is Trump Care? It is a bill that Congress, well, the House just voted on 217 votes to 213 votes to pass the American Health Care Act. It is Donald Trump and the Republican Party's answer to Obamacare. And... To be objective, it is a disaster. It is a horrible bill. It is going up to the Senate for a vote, and we'll see what happens with that. But before it does that, we'll be talking about what's in the bill, who it impacts, who it helps, why they signed the bill, and we'll have a special guest on the line, a good friend of mine and also someone I work with, so be very nice to her. <laughs> when we're done with that, we'll be having the news roundup and talking about some of the activists in Ferguson who keep popping up dead in cars with self-inflicted gunshot wounds. Keywords, quote unquote, self-inflicted. I'm being a conspiracy theorist. And then, of course, in the next segment, we'll be talking about Jeff Sessions' Department of Justice and how they are moving forward with dealing with activism, with dealing with people who may question them or defy them, or just anything that makes them feel uncomfortable. And then finally, during the quickie, we'll be having a lit conversation, kind of circling back to Jeff Sessions just slightly to talk about how a woman is going to get a year in prison for laughing at him. That's not necessarily this confirmation. true. Alyssa says it's not necessarily true, I so mean, she, she will give us She, in theory, could be sentenced to up to a year, but that does not mean she's going to get a year. Right. I said she could. But no, the no, fact no. that she even could is, is yes. wild to me, so I'm excited to hear yes. more about that. As Alyssa once said to us when talking about a, um, a poster she saw for lawyers, just because you did it doesn't mean you're guilty. Well, <laughs> I mean, until you're actually convicted of having doing it. And in this case, there has been a guilty verdict. This is not a case where she's just being accused anymore. A jury has heard this case and found her guilty. So we'll talk more about that later on in the segment. That's something I would have liked to, like, a phrase I would have liked to have had as, like, a teenager for my mom. Just because I did it doesn't, <laughs> doesn't mean I'm guilty. guilty. That's right. <laughs> Just because you're accusing me of it. Yeah. Oh, well, that <laughs> is definitely <laughs> not, true. Not, right. All right, guys. We're going on a quick break. Let's slide in some DMs. Yeah, this your man. I hate to be him. It goes down in the DM. It go down. It go down in the DM. It go down. It go down. It goes down in the DM. It go down. It go down in the DM. Oh, oh, hello, guys. Hey, guys, we are back Wait, on Let Your Voice. This isn't a bar? This, this, is, this, is, this is, is Let Your Voice Red Radio? It's lit. So let me tell you how yesterday I met up with a mentor and former teacher from high school. Um, He goes to this, like, Jamaican herb place on 124. <laughs> Not that kind of herb place, Alyssa. <laughs> My mom's in Colorado right now. <laughs> oh, Thanks. man. She is hot, sky high. No, she's not. In the airplane, Alyssa. <laughs> My goodness, man. You know, she doesn't do bad things like that. <laughs> There's but nothing. I want to go to the Jamaican herb place. You know, the one <laughs> over here. Not the one you're thinking about, The one Stanley. on 123rd and Lennox? No. <laughs> So, um, that's just dry snitch. So, anyways, <laughs> I met him at this Jamaican herb place, and he goes, you got to have this energy drink. And I go, great. So, I go, what is it called? Because it tasted kind of like whiskey, but there's no alcohol in it. Right. And the guy yeah, behind it. What is the point? <laughs> yeah, what is the point? But the guy behind the desk, he goes, rock it in your pocket. Make your get it feel nice. And I was what? like, what? Oh, oh, I got it. I got it. It's an aphrodisiac. Yes. yes, apparently so. It's an energy drink and an aphrodisiac. So, and I said to my mentor, why'd you give that to me? And he goes, well, you know, once Trump care passes, this is going to be a pre-existing condition. Right. So, <laughs> so that was a fun I feel like thing. that's the only thing that won't be a pre-existing oh, condition, Oh, it definitely right? will not be a pre-existing condition. I mean, condition. I think that it literally is the that only thing. That will have thing. full coverage. 
Just, just go to the pharmacy. I need a Viagra. Wait, so if you have erectile dysfunction, that's not a pre-existing condition, no. but no. a pregnancy is. Well, you silly woman, stop arguing with men. No, just kidding. So, guys, as you, as you see, the theme here is pre-existing conditions and rockets in your pockets and politics. And the reason why is because we are talking about Trump care. As you know, on Thursday, a coalition of people who like having sex with their cousins and also think that black people are criminals voted in favor of passing the American Health Care Act. What is that? It is a bill that would repeal Obamacare and replace it with some kind of abomination that gives a $500 million tax cut to the top 1%. It would strip 24 million people of their health insurance, allow insurance companies to charge seniors 10 times more in premiums than they already do, stop letting children who are um, up, to, up to the age of 26 staying on their parents' health insurance, and then, of course, make things like acne and having a vagina be a pre-existing condition. As you can tell, if you are a person who has health insurance or knows people who has health insurance and thinks health insurance is an important thing, this bill is bad. So in this conversation that we're going to have today and at this moment, we're going to be talking about this bad bill, why it's here, who supported it? How did it get through? Because this is the third time they tried to pass this in two months, and it finally got through this time, and then finally, what the resistance is. And to help us with this conversation, we have a very special guest on the line. Let me tell you a little bit about this person. This person is not only brilliant, they are bubbly. They are smart. They walk through the street, the, the halls of Albany's capital, shaking hands and changing minds. And when they see Jackie, they look the other way because they know Jackie is a loser. Aww. You're a loser, right, Jackie? No. Yes, yeah, she is. Now, anyways, <laughs> along with all those things, she's also my life coach. She teaches me that knowing how to read and write in complete sentences is a good thing. And her name is Jessica Wisniewski, and she is a legislative and campaigns director at Citizen Action of New York, or you can call her J Dollar. Jess, thanks so much for calling in today. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thanks for being here. So yeah. Jess, you are in the studio with uh, me, Jackie Cohen, and Alyssa Fuchs, and we are sitting here very confused about what's happening with Trump Care. So I think everyone pretty much has a general idea of what this bill is. I don't think Trump has a general idea. Of what <laughs> I, would, bill I would agree is, with but that. I think everybody else does. Yeah. So if you were explaining this bill to a five-year-old child or Donald Trump, how would you do it? <laughs> Could you explain it to us very quickly? Oh, I think the biggest, the biggest deal here is that. Uh, 24 million people are going to lose their health care over the next 10 years. I mean, that's for us, that's the real bottom line is this real life and death situation where pe- we have worked so hard and President Obama and the health care bill that Congress passed, what is it, seven, eight years ago now, actually spread coverage around to millions more Americans. And this, in, like, this just takes it all away. Um, in addition, it, it, you already mentioned the tax cuts. So it's like, Let's take away health care from the, the poor and middle class and give massive tax breaks to the rich. Those are the most fundamental things this does. And then it just adds on more horrific stuff. So it cuts Medicaid. Medicaid is the program that helps really low-income folks gain full access to coverage. That will be messed with in all kinds of ways, which would produce massive state budget cuts as well. And I think that's something for New York especially is really harmful. It cuts Medicaid and they call per capita caps it, not based on need, but here's a chunk of change and you do what you will with it, and it's not enough to cover anyone. And so it, it means like billions of dollars cut from New York State's budget. So that means potential cuts not only to health care, but everything else we care about, like public school funding. Wow. So... 
this bill is not only it passed by a Senate as well later on this week. It will not only screw us over in our health insurance. It may also impact our school funding and and MTA funding as Jackie cares about a lot as well. Yeah. Oh, everything, because we're going to see billions of dollars disappear from the state budget if this thing becomes law. And then we've got to fight on the state level to make sure that New York State is responding the right way, not cutting more things, but actually tapping the wealth in our state, raising taxes on the rich, and making sure we're taking care of our people. Jackie? So I want to ask a question about the FASO-Collins amendment to this bill. So I know Mm -hmm. that there was a... um, a maneuver basically pulled to get Republicans upstate New York to to vote yes on on this bill. Um, Can you talk a bit about what that amendment means for New York and New York City specifically? Sure. And, you know, I would say one thing a little bit differently, which is, this, they were going to vote for this all along, these upstate Republicans, right? They are called moderates in D.C. terminology, but they are as right-wing radicals as the rest of them. I just want to make that clear. Folks like John Faso and Claudia Tenney and Elise Stefanik, all upstate representatives, they were looking for cover. They were looking for something to give them political cover to be able to vote yes, because they know it's incredibly unpopular. So they wanted to save their butt. So Faso and Collins, way upstate, created this amendment that basically bought them off, like shirred up their yes vote. And it basically means right now New York State and the counties across New York fund Medicaid, help fund Medicaid. So we've got federal money, state money, and local money coming in to fund Medicaid. And over time, New York State has lessened the burden on the counties. It used to be 25% of the Medicaid costs. They've gotten it down over the years to 13%. This has actually been something Governor Cuomo has done and done well because we want to lift that burden from the counties. Faso and Collins come in and say it is, like, illegal for any local contribution to Medicaid. So that means that instantly, instead of gearing it down over years so we don't harm any of the Medicaid recipients with cuts, Faso just makes it so the local contribution completely disappears from counties, and he calls it property tax relief. He calls it, so now that the counties don't have to pay, we can give property tax relief instantly, which is a total lie, because he has no control over property tax relief in the county level. In addition, he exempts New York City. Right. But upstate doesn't have to. So it doesn't lift any burden for New York City whatsoever. They still have to pay. And then upstate, it, what it ends up meaning is additional cuts, and only for New York, because New York is the only place where the local counties pay into Medicaid. So, again, it's like a special screw New York portion of this bill. Right. Thanks a lot, Faso. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Alyssa? Isn't that nice? Yeah, so my question is a little different, which is we obviously just spoke about the Medicaid and how, um, you know, a lot of people in New York benefit from the Medicaid expansion. Um, but the question that I have is not about the Medicaid expansion, which is what about everybody else, which is I currently get my insurance through the New York State of Health Exchange. I am not eligible for a subsidy. I am not on Medicaid. I have to buy a full price plan um, because of the fact that I make too much money. Uh, and so I am not affected by the lack of subsidies and I'm not affected by a clawback of Medicaid expansion, but I'm still worried that I'm going to lose my health insurance because the marketplace is going to collapse. Um, and so I was hoping that you can address that aspect of it also, because obviously there are many things going on within this bill. And while it affects subsidies and it affects Medicare, it also affects just the general marketplace altogether, correct? Yes. So 
I would say um, two things. Number one, let's keep in mind the Senate hasn't touched this bill yet, and let's hope they're going to kill it. And all of this is for nothing, right? <laughs> like, we're talking about this, but it's not going to become law. That's the goal. If it did, though, it will be very interesting to see how New York State deals with these problems. All the stuff on pre-existing conditions and essential health benefits, all which would affect the population you're talking about, um, just buy an insurance right on the marketplace, New York State of Health. Um, we will – where is I going with this? We will have to see how New York responds to it because all of those things were opt-ins or opt-outs. Like when we say they, they added to the list of pre-existing conditions and they got rid of essential health, uh, they had essential health plans, actually each state in the law gets to opt in or out. And in New York, we're lucky to have New York where we have really fully implemented Obamacare, where we've, we really care about people in health care. And we will stay opted in, is my assumption, if things go, go as they are. But then we're going to have to deal with making sure the premiums don't go sky high, right? And that's really the balance of the economy and getting insurers into the marketplace, keeping them in and keeping it strong, even in the absence of things like mandates where everybody has to get care. So we're going to have to do some real finagling on the state level if this becomes law with our Department of Health and the governor, the state legislature, who is just going to have all these crazy details and negotiations with private health insurance companies to keep them in the marketplace. I'm assuming, though, New York will keep the essential health benefits, keep the, um, you know, we will cover you without preexisting conditions. We won't opt into the worst. Um, and that's how they got away with it. So fortunately, we live in a state that actually gives a crap about people and has advocates fighting every day for a good health insurance system. We hope to keep this exchange or the marketplace as whole as possible, even through this. So that makes me feel good for New York, but I know a lot of other states are going to be screwed if this bill is actually passed. So now it's up to the Senate to decide if they want to vote on this. And I know that there is a resistance going on all across the country, particularly in New York, where the New York Republicans had a big role in getting this bill across the finish line in, in the House. Can you let us know a little bit about what's happening across the state as far as putting pressure on elected officials? Oh, man, people are just going crazy. You know, when you try to take care of you like take away basic like human life needs people get really angry and so they are i'm i'm here in john fasso's district i live upstate in the hudson valley and folks are just coming out of the woodwork we had hundreds of people on friday show up in the pouring rain outside of john fasso's kingston office everybody's out door knocking today we have dozens of people out on people knocking on doors telling the public, telling voters, this is where your congressman stood. This is what he is doing to us, and he's not representing us. Tomorrow night, there's a huge town hall down in New Paltz, uh, where tons of folks will come out. Tomorrow, he's supposedly meeting with a group of seniors who are ready to just give him hell. And uh, the following night, Citizen Action has a healthcare roundtable planned, where we get to hear the real-life stories of how small businesses, how farmers, how regular people, teachers, parents with kids with special needs, how are these folks really impacted? And that's the story we have to tell, because it, the bottom line is these guys cannot represent us anymore. We have got to get them out. It's a long-term plan, but we're going to fight like hell to November 2018 to make sure this really turns around. 
Jess, thank you so much for calling in today, and thank you for giving us all this amazing information. If you guys want to get involved with the work that's being done with Citizen Action, go to our website, www.citizenactionny.org. Jess, any parting words? No, thank you all for doing this and for your thoughtful questions. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Have a good day. You too. Bye. All right, guys. So that was Jessica Wisniewski, the Legislative and Campaigns Director at Citizen Action of New York. Shameless plug. That's why I work. That's the stuff that we're doing. Um, And that's also why I'm better than Jackie on a regular day. But so we kind of have a better idea of what's going on. We hear about what's going on as far as the resistance, not just in New York City, where the one New York City congressional person that could have made a bad vote for this did not. Um, Dan Donovan? Yes. Yeah. He did not. I was actually pretty surprised about Donovan's non-vote. I wasn't surprised at all because of this Faso Collins amendment, right? I think that we knew from the start that he wasn't going to vote for it because it excluded... Um, New York City. New York City. Right. New York it City would raise counties. the prices for New York City counties. Right. So he's not going to vote yes on something that's going to raise raise taxes for Richmond County, right? Yeah. So No, that makes Kings, sense. Uh, you know, but the other the flip side of that is, you know, that there's the political aspect which is the majority of people who lived on Staten Island did vote for a repeal of uh, of the ACA and they did vote when they voted for Trump. I mean, if you look at an electoral map from the 2016 election, even though the four other boroughs in New York City go bright blue, that's not the case in Richmond County. And so, you know, then there also has to be something to say. I get what you're saying, which is he was voting. He's not going to vote for something that raises money on his constituents. But then again, isn't he voting against what his constituents really want? Because they voted for a repeal when they voted for Donald Trump. And so they should have to get what they get. And that also means we all have to live with it. And that's something that we we have to talk about more in detail, which is the, the number of people that are going to be affected by this repeal is everybody but the majority of people who are going to feel the effects of this are people who voted for Donald Trump and should they have you know everybody's going to suffer but should we you know should we I don't know should we feel bad that they have to suffer when that's what they voted for I as we all know have a deep distaste for a lot of Donald Trump supporters and I have a deep dislike for Donald Trump I don't want anyone to suffer from this and it's not and and like let me be very clear isn't that the only way they're going to learn I don't care because while they're learning people like like me and you will die and I'm not really interested in that so, sorry, go ahead, Jackie. Yeah, and that's why, like, when members of of the House who were Democrats who started singing when this bill passed, when the vote passed, right? Like, I was so disturbed by that, right? Because on the one hand, they're, you know, they're upset, I get it, and they're, like, sort of taunting the other side, but they're sort of celebrating this vote as being, like, the end of the Democratic Party and their power, and I don't, Republican. or Republican party i mean the democratic, democratic party, party died also. in november yeah that's that's been dead um so they're celebrating this vote as an end to the republicans yet they're celebrating it in the same way they celebrated donald trump's nomination to be the Republican candidate in the first place. Like, I think they're resting on their laurels a little bit too much. I think that this has the potential to definitely be devastating to the Republican Party, but the Democrats can't just rest on the fact that, like, people will wake up and realize that this is so bad, and in the meantime, people are going to get very sick, people are actually going to die. That's not something to celebrate, um, and I don't think that they're, you know, sort of like, like Nancy Pelosi gave the speech about how Republicans will wear this, they'll glow in the dark, they'll wear this on their forehead, heads blah 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 but they're forgetting that like there's some real work that needs to be done by the grassroots community to 
build this momentum against the Republican Party, right? It's not just that this bill in and of itself is going to speak for itself. Um, it, this bill is not going to just speak for itself and people are just going to get mad and realize that they voted the wrong way, right? Um, so I think that the Democrats are being a little too like fast and loose with their with their excitement. All right. Well, so thank you for that, Jackie. When we do come back, I want to talk a little bit more about the Democratic reaction, what people's reaction should be, and where we stand on all of this. And guys, if you're listening, please leave comments on Facebook Live. We will read them. You can leave them on my stream or on Alyssa's stream. And of course, call in at 212-650-6903. And chewing on some hot. Like I told Tish, I see when I sh- Like you seen him twirl, then he drops. And we keep them that did not rhyme. We are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM WHCR, the voice of Harlem. What up, sh- Facebook Live? And you should tweet at us at Be, be Heard underscore radio or call us at 212 650. I almost gave the wrong number. 212 650 6903. Keyword being Or leave comments on our Facebook page or on our live stream. Or on Politically Or that, yeah. So, guys, if you were just tuning in, we have been talking about Trump Care and the impacts it is going to have. We had a caller in, Jessica Wisniewski, who is the Legislative and Campaigns Director at Citizen Action of New York. Shameless plug, that's where I work. And she told us, A, what this this negotiation was between um Faso the what was what was it called the Faso Faso Collins the Faso Collins amendment she told us the resistance happening across New York State including in Faso's district in Kingston New York where over two hundred people showed up to his office the day after he signed off on his bill to protest and show him awesome. how angry that they were and talked about the town hall that they're having talk, pardon me the roundtable they're having on Tuesday which you guys can get more information about at citizenactionny.org and all the ways you can get involved but now Jess is gone and it's time for us to do some arm chair liberal conversation <laughs> and it already started while we were on break if you're on facebook live you probably heard or saw some of the conversation and if you're not you just missed out guys that's why they call it um let your voice be heard baywatch nights what is it called Alyssa? uh the sideshow the sideshow that's why it's called <laughs> the sideshow get down with the sideshow on facebook live but if you're not with the sideshow you can always call us at 212-650-6903 212-650-6903 so now the question i want to ask you guys well actually i want to ask Alyssa to make her comment or question all right no, no, no. I just wanted to fill in some extra details very, real quick, only because we've talked a lot about pre-existing conditions and how, you know, you may end up losing your coverage or you have to go into what's called a high risk health insurance pool, um, which may raise your insurance as high as $25,700 per year for people that have to go into these high risk high risk pools. And many people have said, oh, well, I don't have any of these conditions, so this doesn't affect me. Well, you know, I'm not going to read off this entire list right now because we don't have the time. Suffice to say, you can go look it up at Time Magazine. But I just want to give you a sampling of some of the things that might be affected because you know what? You think you might be affected you or might not be affected. Well, you might. Alcohol abuse is on this list. So if you go to AA and you have a drinking problem, that is a pre-existing condition. I'm screwed. AIDS, bulimia, cancer, Crohn's disease, diabetes, hepatitis, kidney disease, lupus, any type of mental disorder, including anxiety, depression, OCD, or bipolar disorder, obesity, which means if you've ever been diagnosed as being obese or needing uh, having problems with your weight alone, which is not nece- which is definitely a health condition, but not necessarily a quote unquote disease, as if 
you would think about it, you're going to be affected from this. You know what else is on this list? Transsexual. I say transsexualism in quotes because that's not the right term. Um, but if you are a trans person, that is actually considered a pre-existing condition. Um, pregnancy is on this list. A C-section is on this list. If you've ever been raped, that is considered a pre-existing condition. Parkinson's disease, an organ transplant, paralysis. This this list goes on and on and on and on. So if you think that you or somebody you love is not going to be affected by this, you are crazy. This list is going to affect 130 million people living in the United States. What I have to say to you is wake up. Yeah, Alyssa, thank you so much for that. And what people don't realize also in this bill, it it removes a requirement that insurance companies provide essential health benefits. So what that what that means is under your insurance, you're usually covered for like an emergency care visit. So you're not paying like the full run of the hospital bill for physicals, for basic doctor's appointments. All those things are taken out. Insurance companies do not have to provide that. So in theory, you might be paying less, but literally your insurance will be covering nothing or the bare minimum. Also, before, an insurance company could just magically come up with a cap at which they were going to help you in. And if you reach that cap, they can, it was arbitrary. They can come up with their own number. They can cut off your insurance, even if you were paying it every single month on time. Insurance companies can do that now. Also in this bill is a, now an incentive so that insurance companies can write off the raises and payments they give to their CEOs and executives. It defeats the whole purpose of right. the health insurance law to begin with, which was to reduce costs because we were spending too much money as a country providing health insurance to people who did not have it and use the hospital as their doctor. So Jackie. something I, you know, because we could speak at length and we have and will continue to do, um, we could speak at length about the benefits of of universal health care, right? I think that we're all in violent agreement in this room about it. Um, and then when you talk to people that voted for Trump um, or who are generally against it, you know, the, like how do we counteract those arguments, right? Because you hear from people that say, well, I shouldn't have to pay for something that I don't want to use. I shouldn't have to pay. I shouldn't have to be forced to pay it. Or, you know, um, Obamacare was problematic and it, I, it did cost me a lot of money to pay or whatever. Like there's a there are a list of arguments against Obamacare, some most ridiculous but some that are somewhat valid, right? How do we counteract those arguments? Right, and I think the way we counteract those arguments is just through trying to educate people, which I know is difficult because so many people live in the bubble and they do not want to listen to any what they call alternative facts. Right. Um, you know, anything that doesn't fit with their narrative, they don't want to listen to. But I think education is a big part of it, which is to explain to people, number one, how health insurance systems actually work. I think that's a big part of it. People don't actually understand how a health insurance system works right. and why costs go up and why costs go down. So that, I think, is the first part. And the second part is to explain to them how this is actually going to affect them, which is what I'm trying to do. And sometimes that is has to be done in terms of scare tactics. Um, and other times you can meet people halfway. But at the end of the day, if people don't understand how health insurance systems work and they don't understand the difference between a market-based system and a single-payer system, and you're right, there are some criticisms of Obamacare that work legitimate mm -hmm. and there are some criticisms of it that were not legitimate at all and I think that's sort of where we have to go with trying to explain this to people which is we can't think of ourselves as like uppity liberals like we're so smart we know more than you like 
break things down to people in a way that they can understand, sort of like I try and do with a quickie. And, well, and also recognize you're never going to get through to everybody. But that's why I had a problem with Congress singing, right? Like, that's yeah. why I, right. I was so offended by the Democrats singing about this, because it comes off as this, like, ha-ha, like, you fools, like, we know so much better than you. And, like... We do know so much better. Like, this is a disaster, right? But, like, that is not the right way. Like, that is, like, at the crux of it, like, the biggest problem with the Democratic Party right now is that they are alienating groups that think, oh, they do not have my interests at heart, right? Like, I don't want to, like, I'm going to side with the people that appear to have my back, even though their policies are, like, completely out of line with what I actually need and want. Um, and so that's why, it, you know, like, whatever, they sing all the time, they do that, right. but that's why well, it Well, hold on, Jackie. I want to push back on you because you've said this multiple times this segment, and you even said it before we got on air how upset you were that they sang. What should Democrats be doing? They should be mobilizing their base. They should be talking to grassroots communities that are actually doing the work that they should be doing, right? Grassroots groups are mobilizing the public on this issue they are doing the work that then congress gets to take credit for right yeah. and so instead of singing and celebrating how bad the republicans look they should be going home to their communities and mobilizing their bases having town halls talking to people and gaining support instead of just like taunting them but wait though because while this happened swing left was able to raise over four hundred thousand dollars for candidates running against vulnerable republicans and districts in districts where they voted for. Democrats sent out a whole bunch of emails that I deleted immediately because I tried <laughs> to unsubscribe to DCC months ago. And of course, you had people, Bernie Sanders and Angela Merkel, are getting ready to roll out a universal health care plan in a couple of days. So is it are they really not doing anything? I mean, it's yet to be seen. I, I remain so skeptical about their ability to do, or their want to do anything, right? Yeah. I, I am not skeptical about the power of grassroots, right? Yeah. I am not skeptical about the the real work that advocates are doing mm -hmm. um, and that communities are doing. I was talking to somebody from Minnesota yesterday who said that she has seen in her own community a mobilization. She was home recently and like the mobilization of people within her own community, like they're making calls every day. Mm -hmm. They're going out every day. People that had never picked up a phone and called an elected official ever are doing it every single day, right? So I think that there's a lot of work that's being done, um, but I expect members of Congress to be doing the same amount of work and it's like yet to be seen, really. So that's a very good point. I want to take it away from Congress and Senate for a second and away from Democrat Republicans. Let's talk about the Binghamton's, Flint's, and East New York of the world. So let's talk about Flint in particular. You have a, a bunch of families who just got eviction notices because they haven't paid their water bills and a bunch of families who now have lead poisoning and who have all kinds of other ailments because of their water being contaminated. If this bill passes, they're devastated because they more than anyone in this state right in this country right now probably need affordable health insurance. And here's the thing. Republicans don't care. They only care about their rich friends. This bill is a huge handout to the wealthy. It literally cuts services, cuts subsidies, and cuts Medicaid to the poor. It cuts health funding for the very people you're talking about, the most vulnerable people, and people that are affected because of choices that the government made, no less, specifically with respect to Flint. Republicans, at least the ones in, in Congress, they do not care. They don't care that they have a huge heroin crisis going on in Republican districts right now and that this cuts funding to drug abuse. That would affect their constituents. They don't care that the highest rates of obes obesity and the highest rates of other ailments such as diabetes 
diabetes occur in their districts. They do not care. All they care about is lining the pockets of their already wealthy friends. So until we get around, until we recognize, or until everybody recognizes that Republicans don't care about you unless you're rich, then we're never going to get anywhere. Jackie, along with your comment, I want you to also answer how the hell do we help to look out for these people who are going to be in serious danger if this bill passes? I mean, I I think to your point about lead poisoning, I think on the first hand, like on the one hand, this is a issue beyond healthcare, right? Because yeah. once you have lead poisoning, it's not curable, right? The yeah. best way right. to avoid lead poisoning is to create better infrastructure that doesn't use lead pipes and um and you know like structures within your plumbing system right so once you have lead poisoning the best you can do is like mitigate some of the effects of it um and one of the things that we're seeing is that with these tremendous cuts in medicaid we're seeing tremendous cuts to special education programs right and special education programs are critical i mean you know we have um the americans with disabilities act we have the um americans i think Special Education Act is the name of the bill that requires that appropriate education be provided with children with special needs and to cut billions of dollars in funding to kids with um, who are in special education programs is devastating. So we're seeing the effects of this, not just from like a healthcare perspective, but from a education perspective as yeah. well. Um, so how do we protect these vulnerable communities? I mean, I think that we talked about it a bit single before. Payer. Yeah, single payer. I mean, let's be real like that would be incredible right do we see that as like a feasible (laughs) as something that we not right now in four years i think we do but Alyssa, i know you had some comments on facebook live yeah we Mm -hmm. do we're getting comment from uh teedman donovan he is i believe um a dual citizen if i'm not mistaken uh both here and in canada and he writes i feel bad for the children of the trump supporters not the adults the real trump wall is going to be the wall blocking access to health and education there is no such thing as a pre-existing condition in canada and we spend about half as much per capita on health care which exactly gets to my point, which is the only way we are ever going to see healthcare spending go down, uh, to see premiums go down, and to see more people have universal access to healthcare is to go to a universal healthcare system, a single payer healthcare system, like we see in every other civilized country in the world, including Canada and England and France and Germany and all, all these other countries that apparently do it way better than we do because they're not scared of having social democracy and they aren't afraid of the social contract that says that we're all in this boat together. We all live in the same country and we all need to help each other out to make sure that we have a healthy country, not a sick country. You were talking common sense. White people must not run that country. So guys, <laughs> if you want to call in and you want to give a comment like our friend Donovan just did, the number is 212-650-6903. Again, that is 212-650-6903. But Jackie, I'm going to let you cook. Yeah, I think like so getting back to the arguments against this, I think a lot of what we heard is that it's not fair, right? It's not fair. I shouldn't have to pay into something that I don't use. I don't even need it. It's not fair that it's costing me all this money. Um, And like what kind of world do we want to live in, right? Like what kind of country do we want this to be? Do we want this to be one where we can expect as being one of like the richest nations in the world? I think top two, right? I think China out. We're so richer than China. We are. So for now, um, what kind of country do we want to live in where there are people who get sick and have to worry about how to pay to get better or to not seek treatment because they can't afford it? Like that is the country that we currently live in, where yeah. there are there's a huge wealth disparity. There are 
many people who don't seek treatment for illnesses because they can't afford it, who don't go to the doctor for a checkup because they can't afford it, right? Yeah. Like, is and that, that the costs kind of, us all more? Yeah, and it costs us all more when taxpayers pay for emergency room visits, right? Like, people should be able to seek preventative care. I mean, it's like, and getting back to Flint, right? Like, we are constantly looking for cost-saving measures, right? And that's what puts us in over our heads, right? In Flint, Michigan, mm -hmm. the government looked for cost-saving measures to provide water to its residents, right? Yep. And when they cut costs, they cre they created a disaster that they could not have even imagined, right? And don't want to be accountable for it. And don't want to be held accountable for it. And it is a crisis. And that's what we're going to see here with this health care bill. I think we're going to see us trying to save costs and, you know, make some people richer and save some money for a few people, and create a health crisis across this country that we are not going to be able to handle. And we're all going to pay more for it in the end. Yeah, Thank no. you so much for I mean, I would agree. I think that the fact of the matter is cutting costs always ends up costing us more. Because when we take away all these essential benefits and people get sick and they then have ailments that they otherwise wouldn't have had if they had access to preventative care, which we know reduces the amount of cost to health care, that we end up in a situation where it ends up costing us more. But the last thing that I wanted to address before I throw it back to you, Stanley, is this idea that we should never help anything out and, and what Jackie was talking about, which is, you know what? We all drive on the roads, and so we all pay for the roads. We we all send our kids. Not everybody sends their kids to public school, but the majority of people in this country send their kids to public school, and so we all pay for the public schools. There is this idea, and it's called the social contract, and it's the idea that as a citizen of this country, you don't just do things for yourself. It's not about me, 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 me all the time. It's about us. And so when we are looking at this situation, and especially with respect to health care, if you can seriously sit there and say you're okay with somebody's child dying because you didn't want to step up and pay something more, then please do not come to me and tell me that you are pro-life. Because I have an, the other thing that I have a big issue with in this conversation is the issue of hypocrisy. We have so many people in this country that want to tout their wings all the time about how pro-life they are and how we shouldn't have any abortions. But guess what? As soon as a child is born, they couldn't give a crap less about this child. They don't want to spend any money about this on this child. You are not pro-life. If you are truly pro-life, if you truly care about people, then you would never, ever, ever say that it was more important for you to keep the money in your pocket than make sure you help a dying child or your fellow human being. And that also goes for you as a religious person. If you're a religious person and you're going to talk about how you want to be more like Christ or how you want to be more like your God, your God would never say, Jesus would never say, yeah, just let them die because I don't want to pay for it. So we really need to have a rethinking about our priorities and about our morals in this country. Thank you for that, Alyssa. I, I'm going to close it out with just some, some very sobering information. If this bill makes it through the Senate and passes, even with slight changes, there will be a person or many persons who will die because they cannot afford a 73-cent bottle of penicillin. This is the reality that we're, we're existing in right now. This is the debate that we're having. And when they die, we will still pay for those hospital bills because they'll probably die penniless. There's Listen. Not everyone works equally. Not everyone has the same things. But when it comes to basic things like food, water, shelter, and someone's health, there really shouldn't be a debate. There shouldn't be a question of why do I have to do this? Because when everyone is doing well or at least okay, that makes it better off for everyone else. So the Republican Party is pushing this bill not because it's fiscally sound. It's not. It will put us in a lot of debt. Not because it, it's, you know, Obamacare was bad. It's not. 
honestly, Obamacare could have been better if they didn't kowtow to Republicans and raise the subsidies and also raise and also lessen the qualifications for subsidies. The Republicans are not doing this because they think this will help people. The, the two biggest complaints people had about Obamacare was A, the subsidies didn't go far enough, and B, they were mad that it was mandated that everyone get health insurance. This bill doesn't address either one of those problems. They're doing this for one simple reason, the rich. Because they believe that you need to give the rich as much money as possible. And how much money are we talking about? Between about half a billion dollars right now is on the table the top 1 and 0.1% are going to see between 150 to $250,000 in individual tax cuts off of this bill. Meanwhile, our premiums will go up. They will skyrocket. We will punish people for being women. We will punish the elderly, and we will strip the social contract that we made with the American people. That's unacceptable. The House has voted. They showed you where they stand. They stand for the rich. And now it's time for the Senate to let their voices be heard. And you know what? Before they decide to make a decision that can impact all of us, we need to be heard. And this is our opportunity. So in case you guys do not know, at approximately 12 o'clock, go on our Twitter page, go on our Facebook page, go on Politically Preposterous. We have a petition up there. Sign that petition and let the United States Senate know that they need to reject Trump care completely. Full stop. No modifications, no changes, no negotiations. Reject it, full stop. Sign this petition and let them know that we are not here to strip people of their lives, their insurance, or their dignity. It's not going to happen. And until they come through with a, with a bill that is better than Obamacare, which is either single payer or just universal health care, we're not interested. Because we care more about the, the overall health of all Americans than we do over a couple of dollars that we're probably not going to see because it'll go to the rich anyway. With that being said, guys, we're going on a quick break. When we come back, the mighty return of Selena Hill and Yay. the News Roundup. We are back on Let Your Voice Ooh, Be Heard on 90.3 FM. WHCR, the voice of Harlem. Before you tell us your idea, Alyssa, I just want to say this is Stanley Fritz in the studio with Jackie Cohen, Alyssa Fuchs, and of course, the fashionably late but always here, <laughs> Selena, Selayante, Cat Daddy Hill, who has joined us in the studios after working in traffic to help ease the traffic jam on a Verizon Bridge. Now, guys, <laughs> if you are just tuning in, we talked about Trump Care and what it means for all of you and all of me and all the economy. And now it is a news roundup. But before we go, go to the news roundup we must address the most important thing currently on our dubay that's not a thing on our agenda and it has a lot to do with this song did you just make a word up yes i did earlier this week the magical loud fried chicken loving Alyssa fuchs celebrated the day that she was born and on this day Alyssa turned 21 plus nine no, plus, right. 10. Plus, 10. plus 10 now. I don't believe in math, so whatever. <laughs> and we want to celebrate and just say, Alyssa, happy mother-loving birthday. Thank you very much. Yay. Happy uh, birthday, so, so before we get to this news roundup, because I know Jackie has a story, <laughs> like, I have birthday, an idea. Whatever. I have an idea. What happens if we created a waffle that looked like a bagel and then we put chicken on it? What, what is wrong with And we could like do a mashup. <laughs> so it could be like just Stanley and Alyssa. And All right. Yeah, I mean, but but it would look like a bagel. So it could be like a mashup. 
All right, we'll have to talk about it after the show, Stanley. I'm we'll think it through. Yeah, that was. <laughs> yeah, we'll think it through. <laughs> I didn't know if that was weird or <laughs> appetizing. Um, so I, I really quick news roundup story. There's not much discussion about it, but Matt Harvey, star pitcher for the New York Metropolitans. No, Jacob was, Degrom is a star pitcher yeah, for okay. the New York Mets. Matt Harvey was suspended for three games without pay. Um, and the Mets refused to say why, just that he broke team rules and that he was suspended for three games without pay. That's a huge deal. Wait, that's like longer than the cops get suspended for breaking the rules. Yeah, exactly. Ooh. Right. So I want to know if you're Matt Harvey, Matt, Matthew, if you're listening to our show, please call in at 212-650-6903 and tell us what you did because it's literally all I can think about. I remember last I year we got an know. STD in spring training. You got an STD during no, spring No, Matt Harvey. Yes. Matt Harvey, he got like a urinary... He got a UTI, not yeah, an STD. Sorry, sorry. He, got he got a UTI. UTI. He got a urinary tract infection. I can't throw my fastball because I got to pee. <laughs> yeah, I, maybe I don't. Maybe they're connected. But well, I, I'm <laughs> dying to know. So, Matt Harvey, if you're listening, I'm sure you're listening. Please call I in. mean, like, they could be trying to compete with the 1986 uh, World Series Mets. I don't think anyone's smoking crack in their dugouts in, in 2017. <laughs> At least I hope they're not. Because they won. And you do know about... Well, you know, so Doc Gooden actually missed the Tigger Tape Parade because he was smoking crack at a crack house. And he was like, I should go to the Tigger Tape Parade. And by the time he realized that he needed to leave to go to the Tigger Tape Parade, the parade was actually already happening. And he was literally watching it on TV. And so he missed the Tigger Tape Parade because of that. Yeah. That's pretty crazy. And they won the World Series that year. <laughs> well, weren't they all on cocaine and crack that year? I mean, yeah, they were all pretty much on drugs that year. Yeah, well, maybe we should do some drugs with the Mets. I mean, not me and you, Jackie, but the Mets should do some drugs. You know, <laughs> we, I, as the lawyer, I have to tell everybody, Stop. we at here at Let Your Voice Be Radio do not advocate for you doing anything in, illegal. Matt. Especially not any illegal drugs. Yeah, <laughs> crack is Harvey. whack. Yeah, you want to see a brain on crack? Just look at a picture of Jackie. Mm. But actually, you know, speaking of rude. drugs, I have a really interesting story, and it's about a conference that happened this week, and it was happening in Oakland, California, and it was a psychedelic conference, and it was attended by doctors and scientists um, and also some hippies. Um, but the purpose <laughs> of this conference was to actually talk about how LSD, MDMA, and psilocybin, which is the active ingredient in magic mushrooms, can be used as legitimate medicine, um, and how to go about lobbying the government through the use of clinical trials of certain things that there are still accessible that are not scheduled one. Of course, LSD is a schedule one, so there can be no clinical trials of that, but psilocybin is not, and MDMA are not schedule one drugs. And so this whole conference was about how to lobby the U.S. government uh, for more FDA studies into legitimate uses of psychedelic drugs to treat mental illness. Um, and there has been already some preliminary studies on this that have been approved, and they they have found there are a lot of good and positive effects that could come out of small doses of these types of drugs conducted properly with medical supervision in a medical setting. So I think that's actually a really interesting story and something we should be paying attention to, although I don't know how likely that's going to be to get past, um, you know, this in this Trump era. In this generation, yeah. Well, well, speaking of passing things that are currently illegal, yesterday was the New York City Cannabis Parade. Yes, it was. Uh, Alyssa, was anybody there? I was going to call somebody oh, out. that's but what uh, that was about. I yeah, did you guys, if, you, if you smelled something in the thing. in the air, it Down was the Union cannabis. <laughs> it was the cannabis parade yesterday. I was in Seattle last year, and I'm going to Seattle in a, in a couple of, of weeks. Oh, but I was in Seattle last year, and there was, like, the cannabis fair. And in Seattle, it's legal to buy marijuana. And mm -hmm. it was like such a cultural shift. Like I felt like I was in another country. Like I couldn't believe I was in the same United States. Well, so yeah, actually my mom's in Colorado right now. And although my mom does not smoke at all, like 
never has, never will. She keeps text messaging me pictures of all these marijuana dispensaries that she says are literally, quote unquote, on every corner. Wow. Um, and the fact of the matter is, this is why Colorado is rolling in money. They've actually been able to do it. Ta- so normally I talk about a tax cut. I'm like, if you do a tax cut, then the problem is you can't bring in revenue. Right. And so mm-hmm. you end up and you end up with a deficit, yeah. which is the biggest problem right now with Trump and with tax reform, which is they want to cut taxes on the wealthy, but they don't want to scale back spending. And they also then that will increase the deficit, which is something that Paul Ryan complained about when Obama was president for eight years. Right. Well, if you are legalizing marijuana, then you have all this tax revenue coming in through the marijuana sales. You can actually do a tax cut and you don't have to cut spending and you won't see your deficit grow up. So this is a way that the federal government could legitimately bring in revenue without necessarily raising taxes on anybody. Um, And I don't know why. Actually, I do know why um, they haven't. But like there's a lot of there's going to be a lot of pressure going forward. Um, And it's going to be not just grassroots pressure. It's going to be pressure from the big corporations, because if you think that Philip Morris does not want to roll marijuana bros off the instead of Marlboro's off their assembly line, you're wrong. The big corporations, they want this to be legal because they stand to make a ton of money off of this as well. Well, tell your mom in Colorado to send Stanley some loud when she comes back to New York City. <laughs> no, well, she, she cannot and will not bring anything back. Not even some loud. No. Well, why are right. you saying it like that? It's a joke. It's an inside joke. You would never understand. <laughs> Did so inside baseball. Inside baseball. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay guys, okay. I do want to switch gears and go to something a little sad. So as you guys know, a young man in Texas, Houston, Texas, to be exact, was shot and killed by an officer. The officer said that the young man who was in the car was backing into him aggressively. It was quickly found out that the officer was lying and they were actually driving away and the cop shot at the car with the rifle hitting the kid in the head. So, um, that cop was fired and now he's being charged of murder and he is trying to fight it saying that he has PTSD and that he's being discriminated against because he's white. Selena? No, I just want to say if anybody has any comments or want to chime in about the death of 15-year-old Jordan Edwards, um, you should call in at 212-650-6903. And also, I know that we're going to be speaking about social justice more in depth in the second segment. But, yeah, I just wanted to pay condolences to that family because it's heart-wrenching. And it's, you know, I, I'm, I'm beyond words. I mean, this 15-year-old kid, he was at a house party uh cops were cold and they were driving away from the scene because uh, allegedly there were some gunshots him and his friends are driving away and he dies from a bullet to the head it's just uncalled for right now and the fact of the matter that that chief that police chief started defending the cop the cop's name is ray oliver he defended him at first and then once ray walked back the the statement saying that oh the car was backing up aggressively towards him now they were like okay well yeah we're gonna you know we're, we're gonna have to suspend him and we're gonna conduct an investigation well actually they saw a dash cam footage oh yes the dash cam yes and then they walked back that showed that he was lying so a couple things here. I'm happy that dash cam footage and the um, body cameras are helping to keep officers accountable. But when do we get to a point when they just, they're just not shooting unarmed black people for no reason? Yeah, I don't know when we're going to reach that point. But, I mean, some people are saying there was a little a little bit more progress. The fact that they didn't just put Ray Oliver on desk duty and the fact that he has been, like, suspended and they he launched an investigation. Somebody. I don't see progress. In Usually they allegedly, put him on desk duty. Allegedly. We have to give... Listen... <laughs> You know what? Here's the thing. And this is where we get a video of it. Right. There's a video of it. But until he's proven in a court, you can say that there's a homicide.
homicide, right? But a murder implies that there's intent. There's certain elements to a murder, right? So can we if say we that want he killed to, someone? If we want, yeah, we can say that there's a video that show he killed somebody. He shot someone in cold blood and lied about it. Right, okay. So that's what he That did. may be true, but still, we have to, so like, here's the thing. If we want everybody to be given the benefit of the doubt in a court of law, if we want our criminal justice system to work for everybody, then we always have to speak in terms of the fact that until he's convicted, and he should be convicted, and thankfully he's being charged, but until he is convicted, then we shouldn't call it, we shouldn't say he's been, you know, he's committed a murder. He's a lying killer. I mean, that that's fair. If that's how you feel, then you can say he's a lying killer. The but so the murder true. implies that he's been convicted in a court of law, which he has not I'm, yet. I'm so, not really and we inter- have to be accurate about it. So I'm not things. really interested in being accurate when it's a dead black kid and a cop tried to lie about it. Like, and he had I, but, but that's because it. you're thinking about it in terms of your emotion, and no, I'm, thinking I'm thinking about it in about terms, it in of, terms of, the law. of it always no, happening. It, it, right, I know, I but like, I'm just talking just about the legal thing. Well, I'm just talking about the moral thing and the personal thing. Walter Scott is getting a chance to plea out for shooting someone five times and then, sorry me, the cop that shot was a Right. Is, being, is able to play out either shooting someone five times and on camera throwing a taser on that person and then lying about it. He gets to plea out. This cop over here is being charged for homicide. Who knows what will happen? Because we saw there was a mistrial with Dylan Roof. There was a mistrial with this cop, Officer Slager, in North Carolina. I'm not really interested in what, what the right way to say things so the law can work properly. I'm interested in burying these people under a prison. Well, I mean, semantics matter. And yeah. Alyssa made that point here um, that it matters. I mean, because um, this is but... the argument that, that, that this is the opposite argument that we're always trying to counter, which is when a black person is charged with potentially committing a crime, but they haven't been convicted yet, and then they get eviscerated by the news media, by everybody else, and we have to sit here and say, no, it's alleged, right? They didn't actually get convicted yet. That's a yet. false so, equivalency because black people are disproportionately eviscerated and, and, and criminalized and made guilty before anything happens, whereas police officers and white people are humanized every single time. So what I will say again, bury him under a prison. And I mean, I think to a point you know like we said in the first segment like just because you're accused of something doesn't mean that you did it but oftentimes these officers are accused and we know that they didn't and they don't get they they don't get reprimanded for yes. it they don't get charged and or mean, they get charged but they don't get sent and meanwhile there's still a debate of whether or not Trayvon Martin was a thug and he's dead right. and was killed by I, someone I, who I'm not disagreeing him. with any of that I mean uh, well, uh, listen I, obviously I'm a civil rights attorney I sue police officers for a living I like, care th- very very much you, about police misconduct but the point is this the point is this the criminal justice system only works when it works for everybody it right? doesn't work and we know it doesn't work but if we don't speak in the right terms then we're not helping the situation either which is the point I'm trying to make the right terms are you kidding me there are still black people going to jail and latin people getting shot and killed in the streets who speak the right terms who do the right things i don't it's care about any of that all what I'm i care about is seeing these crazy white people and these trash cops punished aggressively bury them under a prison give them the electric chair call them criminals destroy their lives the way you destroyed trayvon martin's life eric garner's life walter scott's life i don't care about semantics or any of this legal crap because they're black and latino people are dying and every time we get fired up about it it's well we should say this the way it's supposed to be said no give them the electric chair bury them under the prison discredit them disrespect them they get no sympathy or objection from me they deserve every bad thing that happens to them and i don't care oh well they're allowed to feel that way but you know we had it there we're over here doing semantics for white people but when a black person gets arrested well there was a thug i don't know no screw that crap right and once again this is not about you 
the biggest issue that you need to understand right now, this is not about you. This is about white America. This is about the criminal justice system. This is about the institution of racism and corny white people who love incest, guns, and racism. But this is about pushing. the criminal justice system. That's, that's, that's the point. That's, it's that's, about the Constitution. Alyssa, I just we have a Constitution that sets out the standard. Alyssa, when you start ignoring Alyssa, it, you're ignoring it for everybody. Alyssa, first of all, stop yelling. Second of all, the Constitution works for dirty white people. It doesn't work for black or Latino people or women or underrepresented groups. That's the problem. Fourth of all, I said it's about the Constitution. And lastly, bury corny white people and black people killers under the prisons. And until you start giving black people and Latino people the same benefit of the doubt that you get to this corny cousin having sex with cops <laughs> and all these crazy white supremacists who are running around trying to get things going, I don't want to hear any of it. Bury him under a prison. He's a killer or a murderer, and he deserves to die in prison. And if his family hears this, congratulations. Your husband, your brother, your son, your, your auntie, your uncle, whatever he is, he is a killer. Goodbye. I'm not with this Constitution crap. Constitution said it was okay for slavery, too. Well, there we have it. Um, we need to move it along. Speaking of semantics, it looks like Stephen Colbert, or is it Colbert? I always forget. Cole, I think it's technically I Colbert, but Colbert, he Colbert, says Colbert. Colbert. So Stephen Colbert, he actually got in us. Colbert. Colbert. He got in some trouble for what he said. Uh, so on his show, he made an extremely, well, some people are saying it was a homophobic Trump joke. So he was railing against Trump, doing a great job at bashing Trump. And then he made a reference to oral sex, saying that the only thing that Donald Trump's mouth is good for is being a holster for Donald Trump's penis. Goodness. Vladimir Putin's penis. I mean, yes, for Putin's penis. And that's the that's the I don't think that's homophobic. Well, I wouldn't actually I wouldn't I wanna throw that at Alyssa. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> I've been paying more attention to the French election than this crap. So like I, but, I like, don't think it's homophobic. I think it's more of an issue that the FCC is investigating him. Yeah. Whoa! <laughs> that's huge. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Like anybody can. But like, again, like this is the thing that I think is like so crazy about America, which is we spend more time talking about whether the joke was offensive than about whether the government is investigating him over the joke. And, you know, right. Like that's That's a big issue like that. That is like to me, like the biggest problem with uh, the American people, which is like they care so much about surface stuff, but they don't care about the deep stuff that underlies the surface stuff. But also like you're going to come after Stephen Colbert for his comments and not anything that's on Fox News like ever <laughs> right. right like that so I, just, I'm yeah, like I just earlier this week, the guy on Fox News made an oral sex joke to another host on the show live he was like well you got the good mouth you know you're good for something oh. he literally said that where's the FCC not paying attention. Right, exactly. That's what I think is like Bye the much, much program. bigger issue in can, all of this. Can I give a shout out to a, a local venue over here? So, guys, if you have not been to before, go visit Grill on the Hill. It's on 141st Street and Amsterdam Avenue. If you did not know, neo-Nazis have come to City College and started recruiting. They went to Grill on the Hill the other day and started harassing people and chanting USA in a very derogatory way um, in response to um, a, a, Lat- a, Lat- a Latinx person that was in there. The owners kicked them out of the bar and they have proceeded to get their corn cousin freaking white friends to call in and give negative Yelp reviews which has severely hurt Gloom the Hill's business they are a great establishment I've gone there plenty of times and they have awesome wings and delicious drinks awesome so the waffles are good too um yes. <laughs> 
Okay, so just moving it along, if you guys have not been paying attention, today is the day that the French go to elect their next leader. Now they have a decision to make. Are they going to elect a far-right Nazi. Uh, Nazi. I didn't want to say it. Alyssa said it, so she confirms it. A far-right Nazi or someone who is more centrist, um, He ha- who happens to have a banking background. Definitely not a Bernie Sanders type candidate. More of like a Hillary Clinton. More. So I feel like this election Definitely is... not like a Bernie because he's like 35. And oh, yeah. And he's younger. And he's younger. And I feel like this election is so much similar to what happened in 2016 when we had Donald Trump go against Hillary Clinton. I hope not. Well, it was because we just found out that uh, there was a big hacking leak against Le Pen's oh, opponent, right? right? Yes. So it looks like Russia may have allegedly played a part in hacking all Russia the did. emails. <laughs> well, actually, so the information that came out this morning what? is that it was Americans, oh. right, alt-right Americans, right. that right. are using a program to make it seem as though they are Russian. So it what? basically the program that they're using make it makes it the metadata look as though the Russians have touched the documents, but in reality it looks like the IP addresses link back to here in the United States. Who knew between having sex with their cousins and drinking Keystone Light? Alt-right people know how to use computers. Well, well, last week we talked about this global wave of conservatism that's being led by white nationalists. And mm-hmm. Alyssa's right. The white nationalists in America are the ones who have been not only tapping in illegally into the election, like but the they're police. trying to recruit more white right nationalists in the entire West mm-hmm. um, to, to join this movement and to elect leaders that will push their agenda. And the thing is that's so funny. I was listening to NPR and they said that one of the, one of the things that nationalists in the French actually resent is the, is America. So by white nationalist American white nationalists trying to like tap into their election, it could actually make them more more resentful. So it might right. work against them. That's interesting because Obama actually came out and recorded a video for um, is it Macron? Yeah, he's supporting right. Macron. Melanchon was the super liberal one. Yeah, no, Obama came out and recorded a video endorsing Macron. So I wonder if that's helpful or hurtful. I mean, I mean people I, in France be. like Obama. Well, I think right now that the biggest thing that they're worried about is people staying home, which is yep. the same That's issue a that we yeah. worried about yep. here. And it's a very... Um, I mean, the abstentions have the... They say if there's low turnout, Le Pen's going to win. If there's mm-hmm. high turnout, Macron will win. Right. Um, and right now, there's a lot of people that are saying that they are going to stay home. Actually, to the point where the very far-left socialist, Giannis, from Greece, came out and said, we can't fight Macron in until we elect him and right. urge people not to stay home and said, listen, I know literally said, I know you don't like Macron. I know you see him as a neoliberal that basically and also interestingly enough said that you can't fight neoliberalism until you first fight racism and that so you first have to go out and vote against Le Pen and fight the racism and then we can work on fighting neoliberalism and essentially, you know, called out all these people on the left as somebody who is very, very far left himself and said, you know, I get that you're mad that you think Macron is a neoliberalist, but by staying home and allowing racism to flourish, right. you're not a liberal. I you're mean, not wish, a real liberal. I wish we would have some responsible people like that in America. Uh, well, we'll see what happens. I mean, we'll see how this turns out. I think that there are a lot of similarities. I hope it doesn't have a similar result, but we, you know, there were, I think, an 80% 
turnout in round one of the French elections, right? Do we think that there's going to be an 80% turnout in round two? I doubt it, right? Because there were a lot more candidates to choose from. Um, you know, it's similarly, we saw a lot of people that came out and voted for Bernie Sanders that stayed home um, during the general election here. And because they were voting for a candidate that they believed in and they don't feel like they should have to be forced to vote for a candidate that they don't just because the other one is worse. Well, that's that, guys. We're going on a quick break. When we come back, it'll be about Jeff Sessions and the new Department of Justice. This is Floyd Bayard. I have no idea what he's saying, but the song is awesome. <laughs> we are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM, WHCR, the voice of Harlem. If you were just tuning in, Alyssa and I just had a race war talking about cops shooting black people. <laughs> No, we had a good no. I think we had a good debate about you know about whether or not you should be more, you know, in tune with the actual like stand up for why like, you go no ahead. in like the emotional aspect or like whether like you should lean more towards the legal aspect or whether you should have both. No, you should have I, both. But I'm glad that Alyssa and I. I think that was a fair. I mean, I think we you know if we, if we take half of you and half of me and meet somebody who are in, the in the middle. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> A very, very reasonable That's multiracial man. Who, who also calls... Never mind. Anyways, guys, so... Who likes we, to go windsurfing. <laughs> we go. So we had that debate, but it was also the news roundup, so we talked about a couple of other things, like the election in France happening between the KKK and the <laughs> neoliberal. We also talked about the young man who was shot by the cop in Houston, Texas, and we also talked about... What else did we talk about in the news roundup, guys? The French election. We talked about Matt that. Harvey. Oh. Matt what Harvey. What did you do? What... Why is Matt Harvey suspended three days with no pay? That is crazy. You know when white Harvey people, Gate. When people when white people start cutting cutting your money out, you know you did something bad. <laughs> so Matt Harvey, tell us what you did. But now, guys, we are shifting gears. After having that rousing news roundup segment, we are here to have a new conversation. And who is the we? It is me, Stanley Fritz, Selena Hill, Alyssa Fuchs, Jackie Cohen, all of our friends on Facebook Live, including Zakia, Jason Nacito, Cassius, and of course Sean and Antonio, and of course Alyssa's beautiful friends on Facebook Live. Who do you got listening today, Alyssa? Uh, I know we had Tiedman. Donovan listening all earlier, somebody who commented about bagels and um, <laughs> who said that they very much like bagels. Um, who doesn't like a bagel? Well, we appreciate that comment. Like, yes, you know, I have friends that live in California that literally have me ship them bagels to California. New York my, the best. my boyfriend from California took me to a bagel place in his hometown to be like, look, like they're pretty good, right? And I was like, you have no. offended me. Like, I should break up with yes. you right now. Jackie this actually punched him in the face. And your boyfriend's Jewish. He's Jewish, but, you know, he's a California. <laughs> Jews, so they don't oh, know. So they the don't know. The yeah. only place that can it. rival New York with their bagels is Montreal. Oh, where I will be next weekend, and I Jackie's, will report back. I'm Jackie is on a world tour. So, guys, <laughs> now that the bagel debate has been decided, <laughs> great bagel debate. I just want to say that we thank all of our listeners for listening every week. If you have not done so already, we tweeted out and put on Facebook a petition to tell the New York, the U.S. United States Senate to not vote for Trump Care. If you haven't signed that, please sign it now and share it with your friends and. Just also be prepared for this conversation. So now we talked about Trump care and this is the damage. Honestly, this is not a Trump bill. This is a Paul Ryan bill. But we knew this would happen. We talked about it when Trump was first elected. We said that more or less Paul Ryan and Republicans are going to be force feeding bills to Trump that Trump will sign or support and it will just pretty much destroy our economy. Thankfully, the resistance has been fighting Paul Ryan and Donald Trump and all these other Keystone Light drinking people tooth and nail. Unfortunately, there are some things that we it's a lot harder to fight. For example, appointments. One of the biggest appointments into Trump's White House, someone that I was adamantly against, we were all adamantly against, let me be clear about that, as someone who has a history of racism and I will dare call a dirty, stupid racist, 
is Jeff Sessions. Jeff Sessions was once a district attorney in Alabama where they had the second highest crime rate rate in the second, and they, they ranked number two in violent crimes in the entire United States. He was a deal over there. He was also a U.S. senator. He is also someone that said the only thing he doesn't like about the KKK is that they smoke marijuana. He also went after activists in Alabama who were registering people to vote and put them through court because he thought they were committing voter fraud, even though they were not. He is someone who has been an enemy to black people, to gay people, to people who smoke weed, to women, and anyone who pretty much isn't a white man with a buzz haircut, and anyone who likes anyone who can speak even a slight bit of Spanish. Jeff Sessions was also one of the biggest and loudest supporters of Donald Trump, specifically when Trump came out and said that we need to be deporting people back to Mexico, even though the biggest amount of immigration is coming from Asia and Eastern Europe, and also Jeff Sessions is the same person that said that Dominican people from Dominican Republic bring nothing of value to America, and they're all criminals and uneducated and worthless. Yes, Jeff Sessions, that same pile of white mayonnaise garbage is the pretty much the attorney general for the United States of America. And what has he done since he's come into this position of power where he did not have to be voted in by the American people? He just needed a vote from Senate, a confirmation from Senate, and to be appointed by Donald Trump? Well, let's talk about this. He said that he thinks that we're putting too much pressure on the police and that police know how to do their jobs. So he is asking for another look into the DOJ, Department of Justice, investigations that we did on police departments, including in Baltimore and Ferguson and New York and in Michigan, because he says that he thinks these verdicts were too tough on the police. So he's going to be relaxing these and not enforcing a lot of the things that the Department of Justice said these police departments had to do. What else has he done? Well, Alyssa will talk about this during the quickie, but he is currently charging someone trying to charge someone right now for laughing at him while he was in this confirmation hearing and then also this happened earlier this week alton sterling the young man who was shot by police officers even though he was unarmed and even though he was not a threat the department of justice what a surprise has decided not to try for a civil rights case or any kind of investigation into that police department and within that same breath jeff sessions says well i love the blacks and i'm paraphrasing obviously because he's too he's not that stupid that he'd say i love the blacks but he continues to say that he has a positive relationships relationship with communities of color, but then goes against that. And then finally, one of the biggest things that he is doing or trying to do is reamp the pressure and the energy around criminalizing the use and the sale of drugs, particularly marijuana, where he has said that he is going to go after states that have legalized marijuana. Who is this going to hurt? Not the bushy-haired white people who own the marijuana dispensaries, but of course, the black and brown people who have been blocked out of this industry. And in this conversation and in this segment, we are going to be talking about Jeff Sessions, what's happening to our communities, what we should be afraid of, and what will happen moving forward. And to start this off, I want to just throw it out to the panel right here. So before Jeff Sessions, we had Eric Holder, and we saw a lot of progress in some spaces and in kind of like standstill in others. One of the biggest places we saw progress was the Department of Justice was really going after states that were passing by suppressive voter laws. They were going after them, especially after Supreme Court struck down the Voting Rights Act. Jeff Sessions does not seem as excited about this. What kind of ramifications do you think this, this, will, ha- this will have on states where you have a Republican majority everything and they're passing strict voter ID laws that pretty much equate to poll taxes? Uh, wait. What, what was the question? Still? Yeah. <laughs> like no, it was. No, no, it was, was a so long much question. Yeah, so like, right. I, I, I missed that one off. too. Yeah, I okay. missed that one too. So, when we had Eric Calder in the Department of Justice, they were very aggressive in going after states that were putting out harsh voter ID laws. With Jeff Sessions in office now, 
How do you think that impacts these same states when Jeff Sessions has said voter ID is a real problem? Right. No, okay. I think we already, thank you for clarifying the question. Um, no, I think we already know what we see happening, which is there was actually a case that was already pending uh, that originally the Justice Department was taking the position that the state was actually violating, uh, this was in Texas, I believe, that the state of Texas was violating the voting rights of people. Um, and it, a couple weeks ago, the U.S. Attorney's Office actually notified the court that the federal government was no longer going to be defending that position. And they left it up to the plaintiff's attorneys, essentially. So sometimes the federal government intervenes in a case, right? The plaintiffs will bring a lawsuit against the defendants. In this case, the plaintiffs are voters who are claiming they're disenfranchised and they're suing the state of Texas and the Texas State Board of Elections, claiming that these laws um, and the gerrymandering, the certain things that are going on in Texas have violated their rights. A lot of times the Justice Department will intervene in that case on behalf of the plaintiffs. And the, the federal government will then put pressure on to the state and will also take that position that you as the state are violating their rights and us as the federal government we have to enforce federal voting rights acts and so we're going to join with the plaintiffs in this application um, so what's happening in Texas we saw a few weeks ago is the Department of Justice actually decided that they were no longer going to support the plaintiffs in their case and they actually withdrew and they left it to the plaintiffs to go forward on their own so we're already starting to see this and I think what we're going to see in the future is that they're not going to get involved in pressuring states that are violating the Voting Rights Act. They're going to leave it up to individual plaintiffs that don't have as much, have as many resources or have as much oomph as the federal government does in order to bring these types of actions against states that are violating or potentially violating their rights. Jackie, so, you know, with your job, one thing you've been very active in is voter registration Mm -hmm. in New York State. So what... You know, obviously you're not in these states, but you, you you have your own set of challenges in New York State when you're trying to register people to vote. In states where you have these super strict ID laws and when you have elected officials literally trying to stop people from getting the ability to vote, what kind of impact does that have on the ground for someone like you? I mean, for I, I don't think the problem is what kind of impact does it have for somebody like me, right? Because somebody like me is out there because there are restrictions to voting in the first place, right? right. The, the impact is on people that want to vote. And when you don't have easy access to the polls, you're not going to be able to vote, right? And who are the communities that are often kept from the polls, right? They're low-income communities of color. Um, and, you know, when you create more barriers, I mean, like, voter fraud is a myth, right? Like, it is a myth. that It's not this, like, widespread issue that we have to be so concerned with, but voter suppression is very, very real. And when you don't have things like automatic voter registration, early voting, when you make force election day to be on a Tuesday and not a Saturday like we're seeing in France, right? Or Sunday or whatever. Um, so you're forcing people to like leave work or take off work, even though it's illegal for your employer to prevent you from um, accessing the polls. It's still problematic for a lot of people and people still choose to not do it because oftentimes they have to wait online for three plus hours to be able to vote. I mean, there are a number of restrictions that keep people from voting. And at the end of the day, what that means is that people that have access to the polls who don't have to worry about their job holding them, you know, like withholding funds or they have access to um, transportation to get to the polls or whatever, or have been registered and know how to register to vote, will vote, right? Um, But at the end of the day, the more barriers that we put up, the more of these restrictions that we put up in the name of voter fraud, which is not a thing, um, the more the 
those are enacted, the fewer people are actually going to get out and vote. Thank you. So, guys, if you want to call in with a question or comment, the number is 212-650-6903. Again, that number is 212-650-6903. Or you can tweet us at BeHerd underscore radio. If you're on Facebook Live, please leave a comment on either my or Alyssa's stream, and we will make sure we get to that comment. Alyssa? Right. I mean, and here's the thing is that they want to disenfranchise these people, right? Because the whole idea of voting is to gain political power, is to get the things that you want to get done. Criminal justice reform, for example. Legalized marijuana. Just, you know, uh, health care, many, many issues. Right. So if you are not able to actually go vote for the person you want to vote for or you get to the polls and you're told that you cannot vote and you get disenfranchised, then your voice isn't heard. And so then the people who you want to be elected are not elected. But here's the thing about this, which is they are trying to keep these people from the polls. This is not a bug. This is a feature, as they would say, you know, like this is exactly what they are trying to do, which is they want people to stay home. Because that's how people like Donald Trump wins. We have plenty of statistics to show that when voter turnout is high, Democrats do very well. When voter turnout is low, Republicans do well. And so by creating strict laws to make it harder for people to vote, specifically people that normally vote for Democrats, they keep them from coming to vote. And when they suppress turnout, then Republicans win. So this is all built in. This is exactly what Republicans want. And this is how they continue to keep power, which is why I say... Like, they stole the election, maybe not exactly like they didn't actually flip the votes, but, like, they stole the election by using these tactics, and they, this is why Hillary Clinton won the popular vote, and yet we're stuck with Donald Trump. Selena? I mean, Alyssa and Jackie pretty much said it all. I just, I just wanted to say I agree. Okay, great. So, I agree as well. Jackie, I see your hand up, so go ahead. Well, it's sort of like the, the flip side to what we were talking about before just because you're accused doesn't mean you are doing something just illegal because you did right it doesn't mean you're <laughs> um but just because it's legal doesn't mean it's ethical right? right and so these voter id laws they may be legal i mean they're laws but they're definitely not ethical right when you're thinking about what are we barring people from doing well we should say some of them may be legal and others may be unconstitutional that's actually but that's we should right. also make clear that when so when we say something is illegal in this type of sense we don't mean criminal either right, right? so there are criminal laws and there are civil laws. So when we're saying that um, some of these voting laws may violate the Constitution, that may make them illegal. That doesn't mean what these legislators are doing is necessarily criminal. And now we still may think it's criminal in like the uh, spoken sense, right? Like it's criminal to disenfranchise people from voting, but it's not criminal in the sense of like actually they're committing a crime. So I, right. we should just make that very, very clear. Guys, and guys, if you want to chime in again, the number is 212 212- Six five zero six nine zero three. We're going to go on a quick break, but when we come back, we'll continue to talk about how the Department of Justice is going to be run under Jeff Sessions and, of course, in the Trump era. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard. So we are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM WHCR, the voice of Harlem. If you are just tuning in, this is Stanley Fritz with Selena Hill, Alyssa Fuchs, and Jackie Cohen. Of course, we are also on the Facebook Lives, Double Time. Alyssa's got her stream to my left. I've got my stream to my right. And I see Chris Knucklehead Hayes just left a comment, but I can't read it because I'm blind. And also, Aisha Nile just jumped into the chat. Thank you so much for that. If you have a question, a comment, or no curse words, you can give us a call at 212 650 
1-800-242-6903. Right before we walked away from this segment to go on a quick break, we were talking about what the Justice Department was or probably was not doing in regards to voter suppression More and like voter ID not. laws. Now we are shifting gears. As you guys know, there was a DOJ Department of Justice report that came out last year that said that the police in Baltimore were racially profiling community members or harassing them and were policing in such a way that it created resentment and aggression towards the police. A similar report came out in Ferguson, New York, pardon me, Ferguson, Missouri. Similar reports have happened all across the country. And what the Department of Justice has done was put down certain mandates and requirements for the police to correct their behavior and stop harassing black and brown people. Jeff Sessions thinks that we have been doing too much to regulate police and we should be worrying about making police safer and not about some fake racial problem. Now, with this happening and with, you know, pretty much the Department of Justice that has shown that it's not going to be on the side of the the people when we're talking about police harassment, what could this look like on the ground? And for this question, I want to start it off with our legal expert over here, Alyssa Fuchs. Right. So, I mean, what this looks like in the ground is that the federal government has had a large role in making sure that police departments, especially local police departments, comply with the Constitution, which is why I think the Constitution is so important. Um, and so these are all based on constitutional claims, and they're all based on um, the Civil Rights Act on Section uh, 1983 of the Civil Rights Act, which is the section of the law that most of these police lawsuits are brought under. Um, and specifically, when we're talking about these big police lawsuits that actually establish changes, usually those cases um, are brought under a, a a special section called Monell, which is essentially that the plaintiffs allege under Monell that the city or the municipality has a policy pattern and practice of engaging in unconstitutional behavior in policing in that they conduct policing based on race or gender or other factors that you are not allowed to police people on. Um, And so they end up settling these lawsuits. And in a lot of times, these lawsuits are settled through consent decrees with the federal government where the municipality agrees not to engage in unconstitutional behavior, and they also agree to some kind of monitor where the federal government appoints somebody to monitor these police departments to make sure that they are not engaging in these unconstitutional police practices. Um, I'm going to cut you off for one second now. Uh, So we're talking about these monitors. So does that mean that if there are monitors on the ground, the Department of Justice might be removing them now? Correct. And so that that is, well, they're not always on the ground, but they're usually people that receive information from the police departments, paper records, so tracking statistics, tracking the number of arrests, tracking the racial bias within those um, those arrest statistics and determining whether or not some of these problems are being alleviated. And also they're responsible for instituting any of the reforms that come out of any of these settlements. Um, and so the Department of Justice removes these monitors, then there will be nobody that is overseeing these police departments anymore um, in order to enforce these consent decrees and enforce these settlements, um, except for the plaintiffs. And again, that I mentioned earlier, plaintiffs don't always have the resources. Like I work at a small three three-person resource, uh, three-person law firm, we don't necessarily always have the resources to enforce these settlements once we come to these agreements. We rely on, um, and I'm not saying my firm specifically in any case per se, but like firms like mine rely on the federal government to come in and put their weight behind enforcing these agreements. And without the federal government, then you're going to see more and more unconstitutional policing and nothing be, is going to be done about it. Well, Without that adult in the room from the DOJ holding the police accountable, 
does that mean that we should be looking towards the media to be more of the truth teller? Alyssa, I'm sorry, Selena, <laughs> like, is, do you think that's the case? And if so, like, what, what role does the media play now that the DOJ is not going to be as responsive or accountable? Well, Stanley, I think that's an excellent point to say that it's now, it's up to us, uh, independent media outlets, to make sure that we continue to hold a spotlight on what the DOJ is doing. And I just wanted to, to, to point out that, you know, in the last segment, we talked about the killing of Jordan Edwards. He was actually on the honor roll. He was a, a star student. He was only 15 years old. And the fact that he was shot and killed in Dallas by a police officer, um, I have absolutely no confidence that the DOJ is going to uh, prosecute this case um, for civil rights uh, issues or anything. And, um, you know, we Stanley, in your opening, you talked about how Alton Sterling. Yes. He was killed in Baton Rouge while he was pinned to the ground. We watched him die. We watched police officers shoot bullets into his body. And the DOG said, you know what? We're not going to tackle this case. And we also can't forget that Jeff Sessions is the same person that's alluded that this systematic issue of bad policing is an issue of bad apples. It's not. It's institutional. It's systemic. And I think that if you have somebody at the head of the Department of Justice who thinks like this and does not is not holding police institutions accountable for the decades of injustice that they can continue to perpetrate on black and brown bodies it's only going to get worse but i think that black lives matter what we have been doing on the ground what independent outlets like let your voice be heard has been doing is thank you (laughs) is we, we need more of it and it's only time for black lives matter and us to ramp up and i know that later on we'll talk about if black lives matter is going to be affected now that we have attorney general uh jeff sessions at the helm we, we should we should definitely talk about that we, we absolutely will but i wanted to throw it to Alyssa just briefly well i have a quick question i know you also had something to say as well but what kind of what kind of challenges are you going to face now, Alyssa, as a civil rights lawyer? Hold on, I'm going to come back to that. Ask me that at the end because I'm, gotcha. I'm, I'm before I get to that, I want to get to this, which is this all stems out of the idea that there's a quote unquote war on cops. But the fact of the matter is, is that's not true. There is statistics that prove it's not true, and so Jeff Sessions is using this fake war on cop thing to perpetuate racism because he's racist, honestly. Uh, like you know, that's why he didn't get the district judge job 20 years ago because he was a racist. That's the whole Coretta Scott King letter, which we talked about in previous shows. But just to give you some numbers, if we look at the rate of police killings uh, uh, and the killings of cops, right now we are actually seeing those numbers go down. In fact, police are getting killed at the lowest rate in 2000, from, since 2015. Police killings have been so far down, they're practically non-existent. Um, in fact, if we look at these, but yet if you ask people, 58% of people that are asked if there's a war on cops agree that there's a war on cops, which is 58%, more than half of the people in this country. Yet, we are on pace to see the lowest number of felonious police killings ever. So, what we have to also do is change this narrative, and we have to show people the statistics, and it goes back to what I was saying earlier during the first section, which is try to educate those people we think we can get through to and explain to them that cops are not at any more risk now than they were in the past. And in fact, in the past, during the 70s and 80s, cops were at a much higher rate of being killed. And that we also need to explain to people that Black Lives Matter, that's not a terrorist group. That's not something that's scary. That's people that are standing up for their rights and saying that Black Lives Matter and that we need to stand up for the rights is because black people have been historically disenfranchised. It does not mean that we think that, you know, we should just go around killing police officers because that's not what Black Lives Matter is advocating for. I think what it all boils down to is that when there's 
power, there needs to be oversight, right? Power is easily corrupted. And this isn't just in law enforcement. It's, you know, at government and corporations. When there's power, there needs to be oversight or it can get out of control, right? And law enforcement has a tremendous amount of power, right? They have law enforcement on their side. They have the criminal justice system on their side. They have guns. They have power in these communities. And they need to have a sense of oversight that if something wrong happens, that their actions will be corrected and reprimanded, right? And when it's not asking for so much, right? We know we the same thing needs to exist within our broader government. That's why we have a system in theory of checks and balances, right? Yeah. There needs to be an oversight process that holds bad actors accountable. Um, and right now, there's seemingly none. The only one that we seem to have is Black Lives Matter. And if Jeff Sessions right. feels about Black Lives Matter the way he did about the Rainbow Coalition or the NAACP where he thought they were terrorist groups, we may be in trouble. Selena, do you have any comments on that? No, no, you're, you're absolutely right. And I think that, you know, history definitely teaches us a lesson there. I mean, um, our government is the one that shut down SNCC, that t- tried to shut down and kill Dr. Martin Luther King. So we've seen this play out time and time again. And, you know, Stanley, you know better than I, but hasn't Black Lives Matter been threatened as a group? and to be to be shut down do they feel threatened in any way well of course that they feel threatened so what you need to understand is before Jeff Sessions or Donald Trump came into the White House, there was already police infiltration into groups like Black Lives Matter the Young Lords Black Panther parties and a lot of these activist organizations since Jeff Sessions has become the Attorney General there has been an increase in infiltration and investigation and following and tracking of these activist organizations there's an all-out war against these racial justice groups and but, but not just racial justice groups any left-leaning progressive group is definitely under watch and I think anyone in this movement will let you know about that heightened um just panic and insecurity that a lot of people are feeling right now and that doesn't do anything to help with the problems we're having in this country, it just creates more paranoia. Alyssa? Yeah, and so now to get back to answer the question that you asked me before, which is, does it make our jobs harder? Just make it quick. We um, I mean, yeah, it, it makes our jobs harder. Um, it also, because we have to now take on more cases, because if now we have more police officers feeling empowered to uh, violate people's constitutional rights because they know that the federal government is going to do anything about it, then they are going to take that power, and they are going to abuse that power. And that means there's going to be more cases, and there's going to be more pressure on civil rights advocates and civil rights attorneys and people on the grassroots on the ground who have to step up to try and deal with some of these issues. And so I do foresee it increasing the number of cases that we have to take on, which means when I have to take on more cases, then I have less time to focus on each case individually. And that can be a problem as well. So it definitely makes things a lot more complicated moving forward. So thank you for that, Alyssa. So, guys, we do have to wrap up this conversation, unfortunately. I don't think I need to give you a long-winded closing statement. It's very simple. We are dealing with racists in the White House and racists in every single level of our government institutions. And we have to fight them. But in order to fight them, you have to know what you're dealing with. Hopefully, with this conversation, we've given you guys a better idea of what you're dealing with. Be strong. Be vigilant. Be woke. Be prepared. When we come back, Alyssa will be telling you of other ways that this new establishment is trying to undermine people's voices. Hey, Meek Millie, is my there? Yeah. Is there some there? Yeah. Is that some rock there? Yeah. Well, let's go. I tell him meet me in the bathroom. Hold up.
And we are back. So in related Jeff Sessions news, uh, um, this week, three protesters from the activist group Code Pink uh, were convicted, meaning they were actually found guilty in a court of law by a jury of their peers on charges that were related to a protest uh, that occurred at the confirmation hearing of Jeff Sessions for attorney general. Um, This included a Virginia woman uh, who just broke out in laughter and two other protesters who actually dressed up. One of them, um, they dressed up as Ku Klux Klan members and they wore white hoods and they wore white robes and they stood up and showed up at the Capitol during the confirmation hearings. Of course, people have been outraged about this and they don't understand why somebody could be convicted of laughing um, (laughs) or wearing a costume. And ultimately here, what I think is most important, I'm going to explain to you why, but I think what's most important to ultimately understand here is that the problematic thing um, is not necessarily their conduct and their condition their convictions itself. The problem, most problematic thing is this law and whether or not this law actually impacts free speech in a way that violates the Constitution or not. Uh, so just to go back a second, um, they have been found of engaging in disorderly or disruptive conduct. The other two women were convicted of parading or demonstrating on Capitol Hill charges. Um, they were not convicted of the same disorderly conduct charge as the first woman um, because their conduct consisted of, as I already said, showing up in costumes. Now, Under the First Amendment, you have the right to free speech and the right to protest and the right to demonstrate. But that right is actually not absolute. And under the First Amendment, forums that are not traditionally open to the public, like Congress, believe it or not, it is considered a semi-public, semi-private forum because only certain times is the Capitol building open for the public to come view hearings and other times it is not. Um, And so in those situations, in these quasi-public forums, protests can be subject to certain restrictions um, and there can be restrictions on speech. However, those restrictions may not discriminate based on the speaker's viewpoint, which means they must be neutral. They must speak to the time where the speech occurs, the manner in which the speech occurs, and the place where the speech occurs. So So, for example, it is perfectly acceptable um, to say that we are not going to allow people to scream and yell uh, in a court of law, right? Because we don't want people coming to court and disrupting this court of law by yelling during court proceedings. Um, And so we say that we're not focusing on what it is you are actually saying. We're not focusing on whether you're saying God is great or whether you're saying there is no God. We don't care what your viewpoint is. We just care that we are restricting your point of view in terms of the place and where you're allowed to speak it. And so essentially that's what this restriction is. Um, and I, I, you know, maybe you guys, uh, and maybe this is where we may slightly disagree, but I'm not against there being laws that, vi- that restrict the, you know, um, the time, the place, or the manner in which speech can be restricted so long as those laws are reasonable and so long as those laws are not attacking somebody's speech because what they are saying. Because at the end of the day, what we really care about is that we don't want people to be attacked for what they say. What's so concerning about these convictions is that they were actually brought under this obscure statute that is almost never used by the Department of Justice. And the reason why they were brought by the Department of Justice is because the District of Columbia, um, D.C., is not a state. They do not have their own attorney general's office. And so the U.S. attorney's office for the District of Columbia is in charge of prosecuting people who allegedly commit crimes within D.C. And so that brings me back to what we're talking about today. So these laws say, they don't say that you can't 
you know, be against Jeff Sessions or they don't say you can't be in favor of Jeff Sessions. What they say is you have to remain quiet during proceedings that occur within the Capitol building and that you are not allowed to parade or demonstrate at the Capitol building because it is not a public forum like a street. So what I will say about this is I disagree with these convictions in that I think that, you know, what these women did is very borderline as to whether or not it actually might have violated this statute. And I think it's really concerning because of the fact that Jeff Sessions' office is actually prosecuting in themselves. But I also think that at certain times, we do need to have time and place and manner restrictions. We don't just want situations where Congress can never get anything done because people are showing up and constantly disrupting congressional proceedings because then we would have a downfall and restriction of our government. So we have to have a really, really clear line that is drawn about what kind of whether or not we're targeting speech itself or whether we're targeting the manner in which this speech is occurring. And also, we have to be very, very careful when we're talking about the uh, attorney general's office prosecuting people under an obscure statute that people are never usually prosecuting under. And that is definitely something we should be weary about going forward and we should be worried about and we should fight against. At the same time, I do want to remind everybody that if you are going to engage in civil disobedience and you are going to consciously break a law that is actually on the books, then you have to own it. Martin Luther King owned it. He said that the law was unjust when he wrote that letter from the Birmingham jail. He never said, I didn't do anything wrong. He never tried to make excuses for his conduct. Instead, what he said was, the law is unjust and we should be okay with violating unjust laws and we should own it and we should take our punishment and we should appeal it. And so I think this is the most important thing that we should take away from this situation, which is don't make excuses. If you're going to engage in civil disobedience, do it. If you're going to stand up for your rights and what is right and break the law in doing it, do it, but own it. Stand up and own it. Don't sit back and try and make excuses for your conduct. Say, I'm loud, I'm clear, I'm engaging this conduct because I want to speak out against unconstitutional actions. I want to speak out against Jeff Sessions. I want to speak out against racism or any other issues, but own it and keep doing it. But Be- didn't she laugh? <laughs> she did laugh. And, 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 and the rules are that everybody has to remain silent, whether you're laughing because you agree with Jess Sessions or laughing because you disagree with him. So if she was there to engage in, and that's why I said the, con- the conviction is concerning, because she says, I wasn't laughing. It was a spontaneous eruption. And and, and obviously that's why there's going to be an appeal. Um, but at the end of the day, what I'm, I'm getting at, the bigger picture is, is if you're going to engage in civil disobedience and you're going to break the law in engaging in civil disobedience, I agree with that to a certain extent, but own your con- Conduct when you're acting in the resistance. Stanley, you look confused really quickly. Yeah, because she laughed because he said that, like, I've always been a champion and a leader for black and brown people and women. So you're saying that you would have laughed too at that? Yeah. It's laughable. Well, right. It, it is. Right. It, it, right. I don't, like, I don't think this is one of those cases where someone's like, hey, I protested, you shouldn't punish what, me. What I'm saying is that the laugh in itself violated the law, whether that you is, like it or not. I don't and like it. And laughter is like an involuntary either. response, yeah. right? It's not like a yell. Like, she didn't scream something at him. She laughed. And that's laughter is typically an involuntary response yeah. so yeah it's kind of weird and then also I, like i i don't i think it's very clear people know that like if you protest there's a chance to get arrested this is not one of those cases so that's why i was confused right. no, like, you were kind of giving that I mean, statement at the end and i don't think this is applicable no but it, it, it is because the she wasn't the only person convicted there was two other people they wore 
KKK suits in violation of the statute with explicitly told them they could not parade, demonstrate, or wear a costume to Congress, okay? So they broke the law, and they knew they broke the law, and I think that's okay as long as it's civil disobedience, but they should own it. But it's the woman that laughed that's like, Saying well, like I should be in charge. I this. was addressing all three of them at once. So you think the woman that left should not go to jail, even though the law is ridiculous, Stanley? The law is ridiculous. They're pushing for a year. Well, I mean, I would agree laughed. that the law is and ridiculous. So like that's and that's when my confusion came with the whole like you know well you su- you suffer the consequences. Don't make excuses for it. And Martin Luther King didn't say I didn't like I don't I didn't do this. It's not the same thing. If Martin Luther King laughed because George Wallace said I love black people and Black Lives Matter, like I, I wouldn't be mad at him either because it's ridiculous. I mean, like, like I said, I, I, I think there's some disagreement about whether she actually violated the statute with a well, laugher, but I was speaking generally about everybody. I wasn't just speaking specifically about this incident. Well, we're going to have to leave it there. We see that the DOJ is ridiculous. Some of our laws <laughs> on the books are ridiculous, especially like some even things in the Constitution, like the 13th Amendment. It's ridiculous. But thank you, for Alyssa, for explaining us the ridiculous nature of our Constitution, our law, our government, and, of course, Jeff Sessions. Guys, thanks so much for tuning in today to Let Your Voice Be Heard. Check us out on iTunes at Let Your Voice Be Heard Radio and check us out online at lyvbh.com. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. It's low key at the night show. So don't you open up that window. Don't you let out the antidote. Yeah, party on a Sunday. Yeah.